0: For a blowout victory, there was quite the commotion surrounding the Chiefs 41-10 victory over the Chicago Bears on Sunday, call it the Taylor Swift effect. There was Swift sitting next to Travis Kelsey's mother during the game, and the pop star and tight end walked out of Arrowhead together afterwards, as if the defending Super Bowl champion needs more attention. Already or not, they're about to get it. And we discuss that and football on this edition of Sports Beat KC, the Star's Sports Podcast with beat writer Jesse Newell. I'm Blair Kirchhoff. There are plenty of Chiefs topics to cover, and we get into the importance of establishing the run and having the makings of an excellent defense, plus much more. Okay, let's get started talking Chiefs with Jesse Newell. Jesse, we are without our columnist voices, Vahe Gregorian, who I consider our pop culture leader, and, uh, and Sam McDowell uh, cannot be with us today, but we will carry on and talk Chiefs. So much to get to, so much to talk about with, um, uh, with, after their 41 to 10 victory over the Chicago Bears on Sunday with the New York Jets looming on Sunday Night Football. Um, as we were discussing before we turned on the record button uh, the number of emails that we've received, or Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, whether they're in the form of wagers or you know what what their combined names are going to be called, um, you know I, I I choose. I don't have anything against Taylor Swift. I don't. I, some of her music is fine, but you know we've like a lot of people chosen not to be part of that world, and there are plenty of people in that world, right? Just as there are. You know, a lot of Swifties who are not part of the NFL world and Travis Kelsey, but now worlds have collided and whether we like it or not, we are part of both worlds.
1: I was thinking about this after the game, Blair. I think it's going to be one of those moments. You'll always remember where you were, what you were doing when this thing first happened. And um, now I think we've at least gotten to the point where. There's a beginning, so there's going to have to be an end. Or if there's not an end, then there's a very, uh, you know, excuse the pun, happy love story that's going to take a, take place here between uh, these two people. But it, that was just a, it was a shocking thing. And then obviously the, the ramifications of this, you know, I'm still living here in Lawrence Blair. And there was a rumor that uh, Taylor Swift was at Free State Brewery, um, you know, one of the best restaurants here in town yesterday. And all of a sudden you've got like 300 college people out on the sidewalk, wanting to get a glimpse. And evidently she was never here. It was just some rumor. So uh, it is crazy. I agree with you. I think a lot of people, especially on this podcast, will mostly want to hear about football and the Chiefs and how they've done and getting to two and one. But um, this is kind of bigger than I think what we grasp right now is going to be bigger than what we grasp, just because, like you said, this is the intersection of two major worlds and major... Uh, populations that don't really normally interact with each other. And so where this thing goes from here is definitely going to be a storyline, whether we want it to be or not. Uh, It just is a huge deal, and it's going to continue to be a huge deal until there is some sort of resolution. And like I said, um, hopefully for their sake, that resolution doesn't. (laughs) uh, What they've seemed to have started. Yeah,
0: look, I I think now we're going to have to go to every game, starting with Sundays in New York with the idea is Taylor Swift going to be here today. Is this uh, you know, if so, where's she going to sit? And um, the paparazzi will be, uh, be going crazy. I don't, it's, it's all fun, right? It it is fun. And, uh, and look, Kelsey caught a touchdown pass in, in the game in which Taylor was there was part of a, part of a pretty good offensive performance. and, let, that, that's fine it's all fine I, I know it's I know we're entering a different realm when um you know the, the, the spouses and the children start asking about the chiefs now um, they had, had no interest or very little interest in the chiefs before and now uh, they want to know more about Travis Kelsey and uh, and why he wears number 87 and then you know who he dated before and uh, anyway it's uh, we're in a different place different world.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess she has some tour dates coming up here soon. So this might not be Taylor Swift watch for too much longer. But this did appear to be the last time that she could come to a Chiefs game, at least in the near future. So um, the invitation was out there. She agreed to it. And there it was. And so, yeah, this is going to continue to be a thing here for at least another few weeks.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely have to pay attention to the Monday night game against the Eagles in November. Uh, She is an Eagles fan. And, of course, that's the Jason Kelsey. That's the New Heights podcast bowl, by the way. With uh, with Jason and Travis Kelsey. So anyway, like I said, Kelsey, big part of a uh, an off the, the best offensive game that the Chiefs have played, best best game overall. We're going to talk about both sides of the ball. But what 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 was it about the way the Chiefs moved the ball and scored that most impressed you on um, on Sunday?
1: Well, I wrote about this after the game, Blair. I think the best part was they got a little bit of a run game going and we can talk ourselves to death about how they can <clears throat> excuse me um you know figure out the pass game a little bit better to get the execution better all those sorts of things but i mean the the elephant in the room was that they were not running the ball and they had not run it effectively and had guys that were struggling with run blocking coming into the game and so the fact that sometimes you just need to line up the football and if teams are gonna play zone against you 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 go and beat up their smaller dudes that are on the field That's something you can be able to do and have success with. And it kind of reminds me, everything, I guess, goes in cycles. But I mentioned this in the story I wrote, Blair. You remember back to the not last year's AC Championship game against the Bengals, but two years ago uh, when the the Bengals actually won the game. They were playing that dropping eight. The Chiefs were trying to pick it apart with pass game. But, you know, what ended up happening was Mahomes had the worst half, second half of his career. And after that, what did the Chiefs do the next season to go on to win the Super Bowl? They played more tight ends, and they ran the football more. They drafted Isaiah Pacheco. So, um, again, it's it's one of those things. The Chiefs will always be a team that throws the football. They always will under Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, and they should because they can be effective at that. But there comes a certain breaking point when if teams are just going to play you a certain way and drop a bunch of dudes back, you have to be able to hit them in the mouth. And I talked to Donovan Smith, the left tackle for the Chiefs in the locker room, and he went crazy over one 13-yard run in the second quarter after Isaiah Pacheco kind of bowled a guy over. And I asked him, I said, hey, what were you thinking when you were going nuts and screaming up? And he said, I wanted more runs to be called this week. You know, I, I wanted there to be more runs. And kind of famously, the first half of the Jaguars game, the Chiefs had 26 plays and two design runs calls. Runs called, so we can talk about this a little bit. And Andy Reid and and kind of Matt Nagy kind of downplay that a little bit, not running the ball as much in that half. But uh, again, talking to the offensive lineman I think they took that personally. And I think if they can block better than they did in the previous two games and show some life in that aspect, I think this Chiefs offense becomes much more balanced. I think they can do a lot more things to counter defenses rather than just trying to throw the football every single down.
0: We'll get into Juwan Taylor and his troubles here in a minute, but just. The signing of Taylor and Donovan Smith, we knew that uh, they would improve the Chiefs' pass blocking, and that's been reflective. In I I think I heard Sunday that there had been a sack of Mahomes this season. I can't remember it, but there's either one or zero sacks of Mahomes in three games. But uh, but they would they were average pass or run blockers, so you kind of knew what you were getting with them, and and of course the, the the opening night. Uh, massive failure on the Blake Bell play on the, uh, you know, on the uh, uh, short yardage situation reflected that. So, um, but you're right. 153 yards rushing against the bears. And, and for the first time Patrick Mahomes was not the team's leading rusher. And that's, that's a good sign as well. I, I was thinking after a couple games that, that that could not continue. You cannot have Patrick Mahomes be your, uh, your rushing leader. And, yeah, it's always fun to watch Pacheco in action because he's not only runs angry, he 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 arises angry. He gets he returns to the huddle angry. He's just fun to watch. So, um, a great uh, r- run game effort by the Chiefs on Sunday. The other development I thought was Mahomes taking advantage of the zone uh, in in uh, in a way we hadn't seen in the first couple of weeks, finding the soft spots in the zone, fi- you know, getting completions. Rasheed Rice seemed to be a beneficiary of that. You know, found himself open, open over the middle a couple of times and turned those into gains, almost got a touchdown off of one of them. So, uh, look, if, if the running game is working and the Chiefs are having passing success against the zone, is, is everything fixed on offense or or do we have to take into account the quality of the opponent on Sunday?
1: Yeah, I think you do. Um, Unfortunately for the Bears, they really struggled in the middle part of the field, intermediate areas coming into the game, and you saw that again. I mean, Rasheed Rice, the Chiefs, I know Greg Olson pointed this out on the Fox broadcast, but they were running kind of the same play over and over again, which was they would have Kelsey run up the field and clear out the defense and then have Rashi Rice go right behind him and just kind of put his hands up and say, give me the ball. And he was wide open like three different times on that particular play. So uh, some of those zones are not going to be as open against other teams. Obviously, the Bears are in disarray. They played even worse than I thought they would. Uh, I thought they would come out and fire it up and potentially change some things up offensively, and that ended up not being the case. But is it all completely fixed? No, but you're right. There's signs of life. And I I think it's kind of weird to say this, Blair, but I I am going to go back to a point that Sam McDowell, our colleague, has brought up a lot, and I think it does merit Talking about which is the Chiefs stayed with seven receivers to start the year and they tried to play seven receivers. Well, what happened this week is they had a couple guys out. You know, they had a couple guys not playing as much. And because of that, other guys got opportunities. And not only that, guys like Sky Moore got to be in there the whole time or, you know, extended periods of time. Now, Sky's been in there more than other guys, but when you get that and get more comfortability, uh, all of a sudden you might have guys that feel a little bit better with their time out there. And, and Rashi Rice seemed like to be one of those guys where he wasn't getting consistent snaps, snaps in the first two weeks, got them this past week because Richie James was out because Kadari Tony was limited only had his two snaps in there. Uh, so you get those other guys out on the field and getting more comfort. Uh, you see kind of maybe what they can do and what they provide and those guys get more comfortable. Don't feel like that if they make mess up on one play, they're going to be out the next play and maybe not return. But um, uh, yeah, we'll see moving forward. I mean, Rashi, that very first drive, I think he was the, the reason for their punt. You know, he needed to continue running on that route that was uh, the ball – just kind of t- ticked off his hand, thrown behind him. The Chiefs have run that play in the past many times to success, and so that's the kind of chemistry you're talking about, linking those guys up. But uh, the other part we have to mention, too, is it's a big deal for Travis Kelsey to be healthy. He did not look healthy completely against Jacksonville. He looked healthy uh, in this game against the Bears, and uh, a lot of the Chiefs' zone woes and a lot of the receiving woes go away when they have uh, their Hall of Famer back looking like himself. And uh, For a game with the, a very famous fan in the audience, a very famous admirer in the audience, he definitely looked himself and definitely looked like the guy that we've come to expect here over the past few years.
0: I don't know this. Uh, if it's been posted, I apologize. But what what play have, did you break down uh, this week?
1: Yeah, I'll be coming out midweek here. We're going to break down um, the Jarek McKinnon touchdown in the red zone. Uh, it's pretty fascinating what Andy Reid can do uh, in those scenarios. They put Sky Moore in motion toward the top of the screen. And when Skybar went in motion, it moved five Bears defenders. And so, <laughs> well, what's fascinating about this play, you guys can see it. Brett Tabo breaks this down. It's great with us, a former offensive uh, coordinator in high school. He also has a Chiefs book out there, you guys can read. But he just, you know, he's great with these X's and O's. But the Chiefs actually have a couple guys. Uh, one is Trey Smith pulling around the side, and he kind of pulls into the hole and there's no one to block. And we also see that Donovan Smith on that particular play actually did not do much. Um, He helped on a double team, went out to block somebody, missed him. And it just doesn't matter. Like, Jarek McKinnon's already in the end zone because – Five dudes follow Sky Moore up uh, on his motion, and uh, there's just nobody there to block. So it's pretty good design of your play call. Pretty good if your head coach and your offensive cleaner can come up with plays where you have two big offensive linemen whose job is to block players, and they have nobody to block by the time your running back gets to the end zone. So pretty good exos from uh, Andy Reid and the Chiefs, and something we probably shouldn't overlook through all this.
0: Looking forward to that. I was wondering if you were going to break down the the um, the long completion to Justin Watson where. Uh, from the end zone camera, you get a full appreciation of the, the way that Mahomes had to contort his body to get the pass off. That, uh, just a, a bit of a sling to it, but an amazing throw from, from Mahomes and, and reception by Justin Watts. I think it went for 37 yards. And I can't remember. I believe it was the second quarter and could have been first, but, but uh, it was in the first half. Uh, an, an incredible play so um just one of those Mahomes moments maybe maybe his best throw of the
1: year I, I don't know yeah when he's jumping and avoiding you know evading pressure and then you hit a guy in stride I know a lot of the people out there that study the film basically took one look at that and said yep Mahomes continues to be an alien and do things that nobody else in, in the world can do and and that definitely proved to be the case on that particular throw
0: while we're on the offense, let's now uh, move to Juwan Taylor. You were on the conference call with uh, Andy Reid on Monday. It's some pretty, you know, once again, we we, we kind of interpret what Andy Reid really means through his words. I don't know if there was much to be left open, open to interpretation here. He's not happy. What, what What's striking to me, though, is how much the tone has changed from Andy from the previous week when um, in the Jacksonville game, Juwan Taylor had the five penalties. I think it was one for um, illegal formation, two for false starts, and two for holding. I think I got that right. Um, And Andy Reid said, look, yeah, it was his fault. We've got to clean all that up. They spent the whole week talking about it. We even talked to Juwan Taylor during the week about it, supposedly all cleaned up. And then on one series on Sunday against the Bears, two illegal formation penalties, one wipes away the 50-yard touchdown pass from Mahomes to to, um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, And uh, and on Monday, Andy Reid was, uh, quote, to the point, you know, the calls are to the point of being ridiculous and that Juwan Taylor was being picked on. So a bit bit of a change of tone from Andy Reid here.
1: Yeah, so you're right. And I think this is good to bring up the context, Blair, because, you know, we're around Andy Reid all the time. So we kind of understand when these things, even if they don't sound just crazy on quotes, um, the context here is that this is pretty important. I remember last year, this will give Andy Reid a lot of credit for. Andy Reid, when he thinks it's his player's fault, or he does not think that it is something that is the league's fault, he will come out and say that. So, if you remember last year, go back to the preseason and Blake Bell hurt himself on the Chicago Bears turf. There was so much talk about Soldier Field. There were divots in the field. You know, we were at the game and they were trying to put sand in certain spots, you know, to kind of, I mean, it it looked really bad. And Blake Bell falls down, hurts his hip, and is out most of the year because of that. And I asked Andy Reid after that, I said, Hey, did the field have something to do with this? Did it have to do anything with his injury? And he goes, No, it did not. He just slipped. It was one of those freak plays, but it would have been easy. Easy for Andy Reid to come out and be like, yeah, did you guys see that they had buckets putting sand out on the field before the game? Of course he did. You know what I mean? Or even if he didn't feel that way, he could have just, you know, thrown, thrown soldier field under the bus. He did not. He said, Hey, nope, freak play. That's what happens. The next week the chiefs play the home or not the home opener, the NFL opener, their first game against the Cardinals. And if you remember Harrison Bucker slips on the turf, Trent McDuffie slips on the turf, both injured themselves. Andy Reid comes out, asked, Hey, Did the turf have something to do with that? Yes, it did. The field was in bad shape. We tried to get different cleats, blah, blah, blah. But you see those two things up against each other. And and it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about, which is he's not going out of his way to criticize something if he doesn't believe it. But when it is meant to be criticized and when he does feel that way, he'll come out and say it. And so that's what's important about this Jawan Taylor thing. Last week when when Jawan Taylor had five penalties, Andy Reid was pretty blunt in saying he's got to get this fixed. Like, he's got to line up better. He's, he's got to not jump. He, he knows he was going to be looked at. And he basically said, this is on Jawan Taylor. Jawan Taylor needs to fix this, okay? And so then you come to week three, and a couple of these, you know, pretty close calls, whatever. I know uh, Dean Blandino came on a video online um, and, and talked about, hey, by l- rule of the law, Jawan Taylor was not on the line of scrimmage again. But Andy Reed comes out the next week and says, no, look, they're picking on him now. Like, he's not lined up any differently than the left tackle. He's not lined up any differently than every team I see on film when I'm studying this. So this is very important to note with Andy Reid because he will call out his own player and call out, hey, the league did fine here. And he even said that in this instance. He said, week two, I was with the officials. Juwan Taylor deserved those penalties. Week three, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it anymore. And so this is him defending his his guy. And, you know, our Gregorian wrote this morning uh, about uh, a column about, hey, uh, the same sort of thing I'm talking about, which is Andy Reid doesn't step out here to say these sorts of things uh, without an intention, without thinking about it first. And so for him to kind of change on this regard, not only makes me think that this is what he really feels about the situation, but it also makes me think that his guy right now needs some support and he needs it to be known to the NFL Andy he needs, needs it to be known to the NFL that this has got to stop. Either Jawan Taylor needs to continue to get penalties and other teams do get those same penalties or they need to, to loosen things up a little bit. And so I think it's an important moment right now. And uh, for Juwan Taylor, a new player, I think this is a shift from a week ago. And this is a coach having his back in one of those situations where he needs somebody to have his back.
0: Jesse, you you watch a lot of tape, a lot of film uh, on games. What do you see this? I mean, the, the, and, and the rule is he has to he has to be within basically a half a yard of the center doesn't he isn't isn't that sort of the there's something about breaking a plane or but it yes. what it comes down to is about he, he gets about a half a yard of, of of leeway here and so for it to have happened in I think it was on three snaps two two flags on three snaps on three snap over a three snap period I just I, it, I don't I trust NFL officials. I do. I, I, some have good games. Some have bad games. So, it's like a like, like a baseball umpire calling bad balls and strikes, some are some are better than others at it. Um, but I, it's just hard for me to believe that. Um, what's what's the stat in the in the NFL this year? There've been five penalties like this called or uh, illegal. Formula. I got it for you here. Okay, yeah, so all right,
1: read it. So here's here's what I think's happening. Um, SI reported after that first game, after Chris Collinsworth, NBC talked about to the whole broadcast how Jawan Taylor was potentially lined up illegally too far back. They sent a teaching tape to the whole league and said, hey, we're going to be looking for this. All right. So if you're an official and you're going into a game and you know this Jawan Taylor situation and you know there has been a basically a notice from the league to say you have to watch out for this, then you're going to watch out for it. Especially the guy that's the right tackle for the Chiefs, especially the one that everybody talked about on NBC. Now here's where it becomes an issue. This is what Andy Reid's talking about. I looked up nflpenalties.com, which tracks all the penalties. Okay, There have been 22 illegal formation penalties in the NFL this year. Okay, 22 of them either accepted or declined. What happens on most of them is they just call illegal formation, not enough men on the line of scrimmage, offense, five-yard penalty. They don't say a number because they don't have to say a number. It could be everybody. It could be somebody else. Sometimes it's a receiver who's not lined up. You know what I mean? So there's some instances in there that say, hey, okay, it's, it's illegal formation on this receiver. But for the most part, you do not get them singling out offensive tackles because it's just, hey, I saw this. I saw it with my eyes. I saw this guy wasn't lined up, but, but the team is getting the penalty. As of this week, there have been four penalties called on offensive tackles, illegal formation, according to NFLpenalties.com. Three of them have been on Juan Taylor, and one has been on Jordan Malata of the Philadelphia Eagles. So oh, he, he
0: must have been lined up in, like, New Jersey or something.
1: <laughs> well, the belly had declined, so it didn't even, they didn't even get the, the benefit of the other team to get the benefit. So if you're keeping track at home, if you have, like, a little bar graph you're looking at here, think of 30 teams in the NFL and you've got zero lined up on their illegal formations on an offensive tackle. Okay, then you got the Eagles that has one for Jordan Malata, and then you've got Jawan Taylor by himself with three towering over the top of Mulata and way above anybody else in the NFL, all other 30 teams. So I think that's the point that Andy Reid is trying to make here, which is he's getting Jawan Taylor's getting picked on now because the NFL told its officials to watch the tackles, but they really told them to watch Juwan Taylor. And those guys don't, I mean, they're just trying to follow orders. They're like, well, I I don't want this to be on my ledger that I let Juwan Taylor line up illegally, but now it's gone too far. You know what I mean? Now other tackles are doing the same thing. They're not getting the legal formation called on them, but Juwan Taylor is going to get called on him. So there's got to be a middle ground here. There's got to be something that's going to happen next few weeks. This will not be a story by week 17, 18, I promise. Um, But right now it's kind of got to be, usually when they throw the flags and they get the penalties, like, okay, the other, the the player backs off. And that's kind of what happened. It seemed like this week, but yet he got called for two more penalties. And so that's where I think Andy Reid had to step in and say, okay, enough is enough. NFL, you got to figure this thing out. You can't just call it on one guy. And that right now, it seems like that they're trying to make a point. They're trying to make it on one guy. And uh, that's got to be fixed moving forward, or there's just got to be Double, triple, quadruple the number of illegal formation penalties, and there needs to be numbers associated with that, just like there's numbers associated with the Chiefs. And now, of
0: course, uh, the Chiefs get the Chris Collinsworth um, effect again on Sunday Night Football this week. We'll see how NBC revisits this situation. Um, All right, uh, we've we've gone this far and haven't talked about what I think is the biggest development on this team, and that's the defense. It has been so good. Uh, and was at its best on on uh, Sunday. I was going around asking defensive players after the game how much they uh, regretted not pitching a shutout, uh, and it was on their minds uh, through three quarters. This was a you know a, a team that had a forty-one to zero lead over the over the Bears, and uh, and then a field goal. In Chicago Matt Eberf- Eberflus decides to kick a field goal when they're inside the five to end the shutout, and then a Blaine Gabbard interception sets up another touchdown sets up the the Bears only touchdown. And that's how it ends up 41 to 10. But this defense has been tremendous. Again, we have to look at the quality opponent. I have a comment on that in a moment, but, uh, um, but yeah, Chris Jones with another sack played only 16 snaps. The defense was on the field for only 51 snaps. Um, that's how good the chiefs were, how bad the, the bears were as well. But, uh, Uh, Trent McDuffie is playing fantastic. Um, I thought uh, Tranquil had a really good game for Nick Bolton at linebacker. And what is not to like about what the Chiefs are doing on the defensive side?
1: Well, I don't always want to circle back to the Royals, but (laughs) I just think you can't underappreciate what the Chiefs are doing with developing their own players and how those guys continue to get better and better. You know, the, this rut that the Royals have been in so long is because they've never had a Cole Reagan just pop up and be good and develop him. And whether it's him developing himself or those guys getting the best out of him, they haven't had a Bobby Witt Jr. You know, be one of the worst defensive shortstops and become the best one the next year with help from an infield coach. And so, I mean, I think this is where you have to shout out the people that deserve the shout outs, you know, whether it's Steve Spagnuolo in his scheme, Joe Colon on the defensive line where everybody seems to seems to be getting better. Uh, Dave Merritt, who you know, I, I know there's been talk out there, but like he should be one of those candidates for a defensive coordinator role. It seems like in the NFL, based off what he's done and, and the, the the results that he's gotten in in the NFL with the players he has. But I mean, so let's go Trent McDuffie. You talk about Trent McDuffie; he's looking like a Pro Bowler right now. Um, he's, I know Sam McDowell pointed this out; he's the top rated cornerback in the NFL based off of Pro Football Focus's metrics. If you remember back in that draft, the 2022 draft. Um, it was either going to be him or Kair Elam. Uh, Those were the two top rated corners. Uh, I think the chiefs were going to be happy with either one of them. Kair Elam kind of fit their mold, maybe a little bit more, a taller guy at six foot one, but I'm flipping through right now. um, Kair Elam, and he's like a a healthy scratch and active for the bears or for the bills this year. Um, Zero tackles, zero interceptions, zero targets. Trent McDuffie might be the best cornerback or one of the top five cornerbacks in the NFL. I mean, who gets that credit? McDuffie gets the credit, obviously. Steve Swagnol gets the credit. The Chiefs get the credit. But uh Dave Merrick gets the credit. I mean, <laughs> the, all those guys are coming together to make him an amazing player when the guy who went just right after him, who most people thought was basically the same player, is not getting on the field. And that's where the Chiefs are having success. I mean, Leo Chanel, a linebacker, he didn't have his best game uh, this past week against the Bears, but. He's showing up when it comes to run defense. He's showing up when it comes to being a pass rusher and adding to that role. Uh, so kudos to the Chiefs. I mean, George Karloftis is a guy who is, is putting up numbers every single week, who's, uh, you know, being a nice compliment to Chris Jones in there and, and then being relentless, you know, living up to his Furious George nickname. I think what you're seeing with the Chiefs is Chris Jones obviously stepped up against the Jaguars and made a couple huge plays. But what you've seen in week one, week three is kind of something Steve Spagnuolo has talked about, which is. I think they just have a lot of really good football players right now. They have a lot of good players who are older, who are playing together and playing to the scheme. And it's really tough to beat them. And you mentioned Drew Tranquil. Maybe there, maybe there's no greater indication than that. The Chiefs would not take Nick Bolton off the field last year. They Couldn't take him off the field last year. This year, you got a guy who steps right in and, and you don't miss a beat. And, and that's with Nick Bolton. And who knows, maybe last year he would have had to push through it and play through the injury. This year they're just like, hey, you know, Drew's got this. It's okay. And they've been subbing Nick Bolton out for series to rest him up anyway because of how well Drew Tranquil has been playing. So you just look across the board with the Chiefs, whether it's Karloftis, whether it's Tranquil, whether it's uh, McDuffie. I mean, Josh Williams had an amazing game uh, against the Bears as well. I mean, those guys are all developing and getting better. And that's not just something that's God-given. That's not just something that happens. That's something that them being in the environment with the Chiefs uh, is taking place. And so you have to give credit out to a lot of different people in a lot of different places here. But uh, the Chiefs thing is rolling right now. And it just seems like they have a lot of really, really good players that are working together on that back end. And the results have been impressive to this point.
0: Many of whom came to the Chiefs through the 2022 draft, which is you know, every game looking like just a um, one of the great draft classes of all. We
1: thought it was we thought it was a home run last year, and now you're getting more from Karloftis. Now you're getting more from McDuffie. Now you're getting more from Chanel. It's like, my goodness. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Where, where it's going to end up is crazy, but what one draft like that can do for you um, is, is pretty astounding, especially when you have some of the cap limitations you have with having a quarterback that takes up such a big part of your salary cap.
0: We'll devote a podcast uh, maybe down the road to the – um, you, you know how much of that draft class was shaped by the Tyreek Hill trade, maybe the week before the Dolphins game, and uh, and uh, so far, what a win-win scenario for for both teams, especially with what the Dolphins did this past weekend. So, um, okay, Jesse, good stuff. Let's uh, let's let's leave on a uh, on a let's switch the, the the game here and leave on this thought. Um, quite a weekend for the, the local colleges: Kansas, Missouri, and Kansas State. Um, of those three victories, uh, Kansas over BYU, K-State over Central Florida, and Missouri, you know, a week after beating Kansas State, hanging on to beat Memphis, uh, any one of those impress you more than the others?
1: Uh, I mean, thank you have stick in this state. KU K-State were both pretty good. And yeah. I thought the BYU game was a coin flip game. I didn't understand why KU was favored by so much. And they played to it. Uh, they were physical. And I think the most impressive thing to me after covering KU for so long was those games were the ones historically when you change coaching staff, change strength coaches, all those sorts of things and have new philosophies. KU would always wear down in the second half. You know, they would not have enough juice left especially against the big strong physical opponents like BYU is. And KU was the one that took it to BYU late in that game, running the football, being able to be the more physical team and so they've got it built up in Lawrence. That's that's really impressive and um now they get a real test, national TV at Texas. Um I would I would tell you that that can't be done, but I've seen it be done with a much lesser team Texas. <laughs> uh, so uh, we shall see what happens here. Obviously, the big underdogs for a reason. But uh, this is a really, really impressive one. I watch KU week in, week out and not very much like the previous decade of teams that I cover.
0: Very good. All right, Jesse, great conversation. And we'll talk again next week. All right. Thanks, Blair. That will do it for today. Thanks to our production team of Randy Mason, Monty Davis, Todd Feeback, Jeff Rosen, and Scott Chasen. Tip of the cap to Jesse Newell for sharing his insights. Morning Sports Edition is the nation's top digital sports page. It is loaded with news about the Chiefs, Royals, KU, Mizzou, K-State, Sporting KC, the KC Current, and more. And when you get through all that, there are dozens of pages about sports around the nation and the globe. Check it out at liveedition.kansascity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sportsbeat KC, where we talk sports in and around Kansas City.